Thanks, Corey. Y'all can be seated. Again, glad to have you this morning. Hope your day has been blessed so far, and uh, we pray that this morning is a blessing to you. Welcome, whether you came in here this morning hurting or healed, whether you felt comforted or were a mess. Welcome, whether you are at peace or you're in turmoil. Everybody is welcome at the table. and Everybody is welcome to partake in Jesus. And we are so thankful for that. Let's begin with prayer. And then we will begin a new series in which we're calling Aha, out of the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. God, may you come and dwell in our midst. But more importantly, may we come and be aware of your presence among us. We pray this morning, God, for open hearts and minds, for us to take the posture and the position of people who are in need of grace, who will come here needing grace and who will leave here offering and giving what we've received. May you bless today, Father, other churches in town as we pray specifically for our friends at the Presbyterian Church. May you bless that congregation. May your will be done there on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and may this church family grow. May we be comforted in your love today, and may we see you anew. May we have the light turned on today and have an aha moment. It's in the name of our Savior we pray. Amen. So I want you to imagine seeing for the first time. And I'm not just talking about seeing something new experiencing something new for the first time, but literally seeing for the first time. It's kind of hard for those of us who've never experienced that or had to go some time without sight. But imagine that as best you can, opening your eyes and seeing your spouse or a loved one for the very first time. Or opening your eyes and seeing your kids for the first time or seeing the color of a clear blue sky. Imagine seeing a mountain for the very first time. Many years ago, that was the story of a woman named Rose Crawford. She went 50 years through her life without being able to see. 50 years where when you asked her, what can you see? Her response was she couldn't even see just maybe bright light and spots in her eyes. She saw nothing. But after receiving a miracle new surgery years ago, she saw for the first time. 50 years she saw, lived in darkness. 50 years of nothingness. And suddenly one day, she could see. That is what we mean by aha. Seeing something that you've never seen before. Witnessing something you've never experienced before. And in seeing it and witnessing it, a light gets turned on. Everything changes. We've all had aha moments. When we learn something new, when we witness something and we go, oh, that's what was meant. But aha moments can rarely be explained. They must be, in a lot of ways, experienced. Ask somebody what was the Grand Canyon like, and they'll explain it but it doesn't quite give you aha. That's what we mean. 
aha moments happen. From the moment those doors open in the back and the groom sees his bride dressed in white for the first time, that's an aha moment. To when one of our young ones or one new person comes up out of the waters of baptism and like Nathaniel Page has his arm raised in Christ-like victory, that is an aha moment. It's those moments where you were once something, but now you are walking in a new path. And now nothing will ever be the same. That's why I'm so glad you're here. I've been working on this series for months, off and on, studying the book of Ephesians, getting into what it looks like to have an aha moment. And we're going to begin a several-week journey this morning through Paul's aha letter. So turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Pull that up on the app if you'd like to take notes or follow along in your bulletin. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you're uncomfortable or unfamiliar with the New Testament, just flip through there. You're gonna get Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then you should find Ephesians. But as we start today, I wanna encourage you to kind of put on your seatbelt, get in an airplane, a jet, and get on up to about 30,000 feet. To introduce this text today, we're going to have to fly high. We're going to have to get up above where we can see the patchwork of how Paul puts this letter together. We're going to have to get up to high altitude to see what's going on. Much like this is my favorite, my favorite cartoon from the far side, Gary Larson of all time. I love this. If you don't get this, if you don't like the far side, where is your humor? This is great. It's an early an ancient microscope, and then you got the researcher up top going, it's a mammoth. I love that. So good. Some of y'all aren't laughing. You're dead to me. That is the greatest thing ever. It's so funny. But I show it to you because when we get into Paul's letters, we often like to look at the details. But what we need to do before we jump into this letter today is see the big picture. We need to zoom out. We're all guilty, and it kind of is bred into us culturally that when we get into New Testament texts and Old Testament texts, biblical texts, we like to zoom in on one little thing. We like to look at the tree instead of seeing the forest. We like to use a microscope to go, I think it's a mammoth. But today what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out, and we're going to look at Ephesians. So here's some fast facts for you, just real quick, Ephesians Fast facts. What's going on with this letter? We know this about it. Paul wrote this letter while he's in prison. This is one of the prison epistles. He's in prison under house arrest. We also know about this letter that this church family and the church families, because there was many of them in and around the city of Ephesus, were intimately known by Paul. He spends most or most his lengthy time with this church, two to two plus years. He knows this church. You can hear about that in Acts 19 and 20. We also know about this, that some of the oldest manuscripts that we have, old, old uh, New Testament manuscripts addressed to this group of people doesn't include the phrase in Ephesus in chapter one, verse one. What that tells you is this letter was probably not written directly to the churches in Ephesians, but probably 
are in Ephesus, but probably to a group of churches in a valley leading up to this city. Some of you don't glaze over because of that fact. Some of you like that stuff. Some of you don't. That's okay. But that's important. Then also, this book, we need to understand our fourth fast fact is that this is a literary masterpiece. Three chapters of theology, three chapters of application, and all this interplay in between. It is a beautiful written word, something that Paul's probably spent months preparing because he loved these people and he wanted to share with them something so important. And then finally, our last fast fact is as you read this, when you read this, and I hope you do this week in our reading plan that's just gonna get you through the book of Ephesians in six days, every you is a y'all. There is no singular you pronoun in the whole book. It is all y'all. So when you read it, you're reading it not just for you, you're reading it for others. But most of all, our most important fact is that this book is Paul's aha. It is him writing to the Ephesians to say, I'm gonna share with you the most life-changing news ever. And Paul's gonna do that by being apocalyptic. Now, we're gonna pause with this for just a little bit. Ephesians is an apocalypse. The letter itself is apocalyptic. Now, we gotta work on that because our culture has taught us a lot of untruths about apocalypse, half-truths, terrible truths, things that make us skew the Bible and use it in not healthy ways or faithful ways. What do you think of when you hear the word in English, apocalypse? You think of X-Men or you think of uh, end of the world, right? You think of a cataclysmic event or a dystopian future. You think of some event that changes everything and things are not the same. You might also even think of wild interpretations of books like Daniel 7 through 12 and, and the book of Revelation. You might think of hokey Kirk Cameron movies. Or you might even think of a couple decades ago, frankly, very unbiblical fiction works called the Left Behind series from the early 90s or late 90s and 2000s. But this word is not near as scary or as crazy as we think in English. It's not about nuclear war. It's not about a war to end all wars. In Greek, and for Paul's audience, this understanding of this word, they would have never thought of the end of the world. The Greek word apocalypse, which is pronounced in Greek apocalypsis, simply means to reveal, to uncover, to Say, hey, here's something under here. That's all it means is to say, I was once in darkness. Now a light has been flipped on. Something has changed. I once was walking in a guilty way. Now I'm walking in new life. That is what this word means. It means to have the lights turned on. It means to say an apocalypse has happened. I have had an aha moment. Much like this 
I want to I want to show you this. So I'm going to show you a magic trick. I tried to learn this magic trick and I could not do it. I was going to do it for you live. I, I worked on it for a total of about four and a half minutes, and I decided I could not do it. That was all the time I was going to give it. But I want to show you a magic trick, and then I'm going to show you I'm going to show you two videos. I'm going to show you the trick, and then I'm going to show you how the trick works, and that'll help us with understanding what Paul means by apocalypse. So here's here's the first little trick. Without sound. Oh, he pulled the ring through his finger. Okay. All right. We want to see that again. Okay. We got, are we, are we good, Brandon, or are we not good? We're, we're not good. Okay. That's all right. Okay. So let's watch it again. I'll, I'll narrate. You watch this. There's a ring. I'm going to pull this ring through my finger. You want to see this? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I don't know what he says. Okay, whoops, I, I went to his explanation. This is not gonna work without sound. All right, here, here's the trick again. Actually not, this is the explanation. How did I get there? What the heck is going on? Okay. There we go, here's the trick again. I want you to see the trick again. Oh, looked like he pulled that ring right through his finger, right? I mean, how cool is that? Now, I'll show you how he did it, again, without sound, okay? So he's gonna explain it. He's gonna say, now, what you need is a solid ring, and you need it to be a certain size, and then he's gonna show you how he's gonna hold his hand a certain way. He's gonna show you how easy the ring goes on his finger and how it's impossible for that ring to actually pass through his finger. It actually, there's only one way for it to work. The ring has to go up and over the finger. So now he's gonna show you exactly how this works, okay? He's gonna show you what he does. He's gonna make sure that the ring is loose. This is why it wouldn't work with mine because I dislocated this finger and I can't get my ring off. But uh, here's what he's gonna do. Now watch how easy this is. You can just watch this, I'll shut up. Pull on it. He's going to show you that his knuckle's going to get in the way. And here's the little trick. It's all about positioning the ring just on top of your middle knuckle. Having it right there. And then just pulling it off really quickly. Not really hard trick, huh? That's all he does. Isn't that crazy? It looks like he passes it through his finger, but all he does is whoop, really quick, just slides it right off, and it makes it look like it's happening. Now, when you see that, what do you do? You go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Why was I fooled by that, right? That is what Paul means by apocalypse. Not that it's a trick or not that God is trying to fool us, but that he's showing you there is an active and real reality that once you see it, nothing will ever be the same. Just like for us now, if you guys go watch a magician or you're on the street, maybe in a large city, and somebody does, they say, hey, let me see your wedding ring, and you, they give you your wedding ring, and they do the little wedding ring trick and do that. None of you in here should go, oh my goodness. That's black magic, I'm telling my preacher, you know? You shouldn't do that, you should go, I know exactly how he did it, because I'm living in a new reality. Now that 
is what Ephesians is about. Tim Mackey says this uh, of the Bible Project. He says, Ephesians is a letter detailing the truth and the importance of the most important apocalypse or revealing in history. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and the gift of the Spirit to build a new humanity right here and right now. So that's where we're going to begin today. We're going to explore what is Paul is up to, starting in chapter 3. And remember, we're flying at 30,000 feet, taking in the sight, seeing, what, seeing from 30,000 feet how he uses his words to patchwork together a bigger point. So turn with me, and it's on the screen, Ephesians 3, 2 through 6. And notice the word he'll use, and I think it's underlined, that he'll use revelation. That is the word apocalypse. Starting in verse 2. He says to the Ephesians, Surely you've heard about the administrative of God, administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's making a hint. Surely you've heard my story. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, apocalypse. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been apocalypsed, revealed, same word, by the Spirit of God to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So there it was. The aha Paul's going to talk about in this book was in verse 3. The mystery made known to me by revelation or apocalypse, by an unveiling. Okay? And then it was again in verse 5, underlined right there. As it has now been revealed or apocalypsed by the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying is that a mystery has been revealed to him. Something, the light has come on for him. Something is uncovered. He doesn't use the word apocalypse. This is where I've got to lean in because I know every time I teach Revelation, you know what's the most frustrating thing of being a preacher is you'll pre I preach Revelation and then three or four weeks after it, people come to me and they're like, I just really think, I just, I just can't understand that book. And I'm like, really? Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> let, me go, let me go do something right now. Let me go drive off a cliff. But anyway, that, please get this. Apocalypse does not mean end of the world. It means revealed. Something has been revealed, uncovered. Paul has had an aha moment. Do you know what his aha moment was? Of course you do. Acts chapter 9. What was in his life? What was a life-changing moment for him? You've probably all got it. If you haven't, here it is. Paul, his apocalypse, his light bulb moment was in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. The moment that he will retell about over and over. In Acts, he'll retell that story twice. Chapter 22, chapter 26. He'll describe this apocalypse in his writings over and over. The time where he moved from guilt to forgiveness. From the old way of life to the new. And he will continually refer to this moment as the revealing of his life. When truth 
and the light bulb of Jesus Christ came on. When the curtain was thrown back and his purpose and his intent for writing Ephesians was there in chapter 3, 2 through 6. He wants them to have their own apocalyptic moment. He wants them to know that they have had this and they need to have an aha again. So what we're going to do is dig into this and I'm going to let you all understand just a quick three things of the key to understanding Ephesians as we're floating above the book. We're way up high, flying over it and seeing it. What did Paul discover? What was part of that aha moment on the road to Damascus? What was so life-changing? It's gonna be a lot easier if I draw it here in a minute. And apologies to our online audience if you can't see this. If you want a close-up of this, I'll draw it by hand, take a picture of it and shoot it to you. So send me a message um, or email me or whatever if you'd like to. But on the road to Damascus, Paul saw something new. That's what he's describing here in chapter three. I'll show it to you again, right? Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, the mystery that was made known to me by an apocalypse. He is talking about Acts chapter nine. But what was that? So I'm gonna draw this for you. Here's what it was. Now here's what we believe in the Western world. We believe in the Western world that heaven and earth, I'll get out of the way here in a second. You'll have to, that's my left-handedness. We believe that heaven and earth in the Western world are distinct and separate realities. We believe that. And what we often believe is that while God is up here and Jesus is up here, that they basically don't interact very much. We really struggle with this. This is how the Western world thinks. It's Platonic thought, comes from Plato. Um, it's the idea that we can't really see or experience anything in the heavenly realms. What we think is often God will send something a little down, a, a little angel every once in a while. Here's an angel. Ooh, that's not bad. All right, he'll send an angel down and there'll be a message every once in a while. All right, that's not Paul's worldview at all. And this helps explain what happened on the road to Damascus. So here's what you guys need to do. Your mental image of this and this Western worldview that these things are distinct and separate realities, you need to just do this right now, rest of your life, okay? It's not biblical. It's not the thing to do. All right, there you go. All right, get rid of that. Oh, man, fumble. But uh, <laughs> get rid of it. That is not biblical. Paul's worldview and the biblical worldview of how heaven and earth actually is and was helps us understand what was apocalypse. This is the biblical worldview. For biblical worldview, Paul believed that heaven and earth were separate or distinct. They were distinct. So this is heaven. This is earth. Okay? That they're, they're distinct, but they are not separate realities. And for Paul, his whole worldview was that when they went to worship as a Jew, this is before he became a Christian, when he went to worship as a Jew, he would get to experience God on the throne. This is God on his throne. Okay, all right, radiant in beauty. All right, he would get to experience that. For the Jew, they believed that when you went here and you went to the temple, you were experiencing this space right here. But what happened on the road to Damascus was that while he already knew he could experience heaven and earth, what happened on the road to Damascus 
was that he got to get in here and what he saw at Damascus, we'll just put Damascus right here. I can't even spell it. Damascus is he saw that Jesus was also in that realm. Right? That's his apocalypse. He's known since he was a young boy that yes, you can go experience heaven and earth being one, but when he's on the road to Damascus, the Lord calls out to him and says, why do you persecute me? And what does he see? He sees Jesus on the throne next to God. Daniel 7 being fulfilled. And that for him changes everything. So the first thing you guys need to know this morning is this, is heaven and earth and this is an aha, it should be an aha for us, are, are separate, but they are not distinct realities. As Christians, we believe this. We believe life can be experienced in this space as men and women. We believe we can live in here. That's why Jesus' prayer is, let heaven come to earth. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is Paul's aha, that everything that we once thought about God is fulfilled in Jesus and we can experience that space. Now, I know that's heavy theologically. I'll make that come down a little bit to our situation here in a minute. Because you might be looking at that and say, big deal, right? So what? So what? But it is a big deal. It's a colossal big deal. And it may even be hard for you to believe that heaven and earth interact here in the 21st century in America. It may be hard for you to have that kind of aha moment. I get that. But Paul believes 100% and why he writes this letter is that this event has turned the light on, not just for him, but he believes that the light has been turned on for everybody, Jew and Gentile across the whole world. See what he said in chapter 3, verse 3. He says, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. As I've already written briefly, Paul says. And now what he means by that is he's saying, not in another letter. Yeah, there's no other letter to, the, to Ephesians. He's saying, I already wrote about this. So what you should be looking for is, where did Paul already write about this? Well, if you turn back to chapter 1, and remember, we're at 30,000 foot. And you know when you're flying in an airplane, you can see different crops and you can go, well, that's a corn circle. I can see that, right? That's what we're doing. We're looking for what Paul has already said about this apocalypse, what has been revealed to him. And if you're at 30,000 foot, you can look out the window and you can go, oh, look, back in chapter one, verses nine and 10, here's what Paul said. He says this, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is to fulfill his own good plan. And, it, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. There's that word again. God has now apocalypsed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good Plan. Now, that may be heavy, but here it is for my simple mind. The book of Ephesians, Paul is saying that the revelation of heaven and earth are not separate, but they are, they are interacting realities is not just for that purpose, but it's that Jesus is at work. 
Jesus is at work drawing all people into this reality. This is what Jesus has come to do, to draw people into this reality. That's what chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 is saying. That Jesus, in his purpose, and God in his purpose through Christ, is drawing everybody so that they can experience heaven now. Heaven on earth. But that's not all he even says. If you go further, he's even going to say, Jesus is at work drawing all people. But then he's going to say, you are part of this plan as well. Check this out. And I pulled this one out of the y'all version, Texas version. You can go to yallversion.com. It's great to read. And what yallversion.com does is just, it's actually more uh, accurate to the text and making things plural that are plural uh, pronouns. Here's what Paul prays. And I'm going to bring all this together here in a second. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give y'all the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that y'all may know him better. So he prays. What? Hear that again. I want you guys to have a spirit of wisdom and apocalypse so that y'all may know, right? So that y'all may know a new reality so that you know him better. And then he prays this. I pray that the eyes of y'all's hearts will be enlightened, underlined there again, that your eyes of your heart may be, guess what the word for enlightened is? Apocalypsed, right? In order that y'all may know the hope to which he has called y'all. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So Paul's aha, his big moment, is that Jesus is on the throne and he can interact with Jesus here on earth, that heaven and earth interact, and that Jesus is at work calling all people into this. That's what you see from 30,000 foot. And then finally, he's going to say to the Ephesians and to us, the Bible is not written to us, but it is for us, is he's going to say to us, you are part of the plan. This is for you, 21st century church in Canadian Texas. You are part of of this plan. Whew. Okay, that was a lot of theology. So let's talk implications really quick. Just real fast implications. Okay, everybody lost in here. Raise your hand if you're lost. All right, a lot of you are lost. Okay, all right, good. All right, <laughs> that's maybe a good thing. Read Ephesians this week, and maybe you won't be. Let God reveal to you this. Okay, thank you for being honest, Olivia. Nobody else was. 90% uh, of the people aren't honest. Um, Paul is saying this. Here's where we bring this together. And I, hate, I, I apologize for this not being the sermon of like conviction. This is a sermon of theology to set us up where we can do conviction later. But the implications are this. And they are far reaching. And you guys have heard us say this, but the implications, number one, if this is true, if Paul's aha moment is true, is that heaven is now. That's the first implication. And maybe the most important one, that what Paul is saying to the early Christians and to us is the worldview you should have is that you are living in a new reality. When you come to know Jesus, the thing that has been pulled back, the light that has been turned on, the blanket that has been pulled away, the curtain that's been drawn back is that you are now a member of God's household and you are part of a new humanity, which he's going to talk about throughout the book. A new humanity whose citizenship 
is in heaven, who belongs to Jesus Christ here and now. So the other implication with that then I would give you is not only heaven is now, but the other implication of that is that everything you do is spiritual. If this is true, and I'm living in this reality, waiting for heaven to be fully revealed while I'm still on earth, but living in this reality, then everything I do is spiritual. For the Christian, there is no longer secular things and sacred things. For the Christian, there is no longer a place where the presence of God dwells and then a place where the presence of God doesn't dwell. Because the aha is that the Holy Spirit is at work in all of us in here so that we can be walking, talking temples of the living God. Heaven is now. You don't go to church. You are a walking, talking, breathing church everywhere you go. When you answer the phone at home, you should say, Canadian Church of Christ, right? Because that is who you are, or body of Christ, Everywhere you go, that also means that every person in here is a minister. Barry and Jake and Darcy and our future children's minister are not the ministers of this church. The elders are not the ministers of this church. Every one of us is because this is our aha moment. I am walking and talking with a light on. I have been crowned and given the heir and co-heir with Jesus Christ. Y'all with me on this? Now, I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, all right? So that is important. That is the implication of this. There's so much far-reaching things. All of us then, if heaven is now and everything is spiritual, well, you're telling me, Jake, that my job is spiritual? Yeah, because you're walking into that place, whether it's farming and ranching or oil field or teaching or stay-at-home mom or whatever you do with your day or teen or middle school or high schooler, you are walking into that place as a follower of Jesus, as a living, breathing presence of God. It is spiritual. There is nothing that is secular anymore. All of it belongs to God. So then that means all of us are ministers of this new reality. We are helping Jesus draw people into this new reality. Now I could go on. I could talk and talk about how that matters. We get so concerned about politics in our world and worried about who's on certain thrones in our world. And when we do, we are missing this because we live in the reality that there is one eternal throne and one place that Christians live into and surround their life with, and that is heaven now. Be concerned with politics, but good night. Don't give it your life. It is passing away, right? Again, oh, not enough amens. Holy cow, guys. You see the world we're living in? We live in a world that is concerned so much with things that are passing away. And because of that, Christians are now giving up their church in order to follow their politicians when they ought to be giving up their politicians in order to follow Jesus Christ. That's what should be happening. Because we're more concerned with earthly things than we are making sure that earthly people are getting into this reality. That's Jesus's aha moment. And it should settle on us as an aha moment 
today. Rose Crawford, many years ago, went 50 years being blind. Then miraculously, one day she could see. The lights were turned on. But there's a tragedy with Rose Crawford's story. And the tragedy is, is that as she finally could see, she had had that opportunity every year to get that surgery for 20 years. She lived blind for two decades because she was unwilling to let the surgery happen. She walked around in darkness from 30 to age 50 because she was unwilling to say, let's go. Aha was right outside her door. It was in the next decision. The light coming on was right in the next moment and she missed it. That's what Paul's trying to say to us today. This mystery has been revealed to you. This mystery that you have been brought into a new realm or can be brought into the new realm. And he's asking us, will we turn on the lights today? Will we live different? Will we come to know Christ? Will we be baptized into him and live in a new life right here and right now? If you need that aha moment today, we're here for you. We love you. Whatever you're struggling with, we're here for you. I know this was a headsy sermon. Please show up next week. It won't be. We will, start, we will start again, but we had to set the precedence. And I promise you, if you're like, Jake, you lost me, I promise you this week, if you will pray these words, God, I'm gonna open up Ephesians this week, reveal, reveal apocalypse to me, your will, he'll do it, right? He'll do it. Don't trust Jake's word, trust God's word. And we'll go from there with it. But I believe this about this church. I believe our future is bright, but it's bright when we let God turn on the lights. So if you need God to turn on the lights today, if you need us to pray over you, if you need to come to Christ in baptism and have that ultimate aha moment, just like Paul did, let's do that as we stand and sing.